can prove to you that we are engaged in a battle. I don't like battles. Just be totally up front with you. But whether we like it or not, we're engaged in a battle in our mind. I can prove that to you first from my own experience. And probably if you're honest, you would confess that that's your experience as well. But in addition to our own experience, the Apostle Paul describes it this way. Before we get to the Apostle Paul's description, I want to mention a little bit about the mind. The mind is something that is totally awesome. In fact, in Psalm chapter 139, verse 14, here's how we are described right here. It says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Part of the description of your mind is that you are not only fearfully made, but you are wonderfully made. It is a wondrous thing, your mind. He says on down, he says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. Can you think of anything else about you that is any more marvelous than your mind? Your mind is incredible. You may say, well, I wish I had a, a better mind. Well, sometimes one way to get a better mind is to use the mind that God has given us. And sometimes God blesses it to get better. But there's some things about the mind that are unique. I don't know where Tristan is, but uh, I, maybe he's hanging around, uh, coming back shortly. But I tell you, I want to tell you something about Tristan that impresses me. I mean, a lot of things, but one thing in particular. Did you know that Tristan can build this wonderful device called a computer? Tristan has the ability to build a computer. For folks like me that can just barely operate a computer, uh, I admire folks that can build a computer. But did you know that no matter with all of the abilities that Tristan would have or others would have to build a computer, the computer cannot think like the mind can think. The computer cannot process like the mind can process. Now, if you, if you, if the computer does not have the reasoning ability. Now, you may be thinking, well, you don't know about cars that uh, can automatically drive themselves through computers and GPSs and all like that. And I had this lengthy discussion with someone that that's, uh, was, was convincing me that a car was more safe uh, if you had a computer that would drive it than it was for the individual to drive it. And they said, you need to be sure and factor in human error. Well, human error is certainly a factor, but I'm just not quite ready to let a computer drive me around yet. I don't know if, if any of you are ready to sign up for that. In fact, based on what happened to Tesla last week, I don't think I'd recommend that you go that route. 
God gives us the wonderful ability with a mind to make a decision. And here are some things that help us in making a decision. In using the mind that God has given us, if we take some of these things and we put them together and we apply these things, then we are able to make the best decision. Number one, we take God's word. Number two, we take godly counsel. If you want to write it down, I wrote it down, so you can write it down if you want to. Uh, I, I generally just write down scriptures when they come to mind, and when you get as old as I am, it helps if you can glance at the scriptures occasionally. So you write them down. You try to remember all these verses. I'll share them with you, and maybe you can go home and, and, and read them more in detail. You take God's word. You take, number two, godly counsel. Number three, you talk to the Lord about it. You seek God in prayer. And then if God has not given you a clear direction or a clear light, then you pray again and you ask God to help you apply each of those things. God's word, godly counsel, godly prayer. And then you pray that God will give you wisdom for all that to come together. And then you can come up with the answer that God would have you to make that gives God the glory. And you do that through this wonderful creation called the mind. It is a wonderful thing. But in this life, we're engaged in a battle. I told you that I could prove that by my own experience but I could probably prove it by yours as well if you were honest. Paul describes it this way. Romans chapter 8. Here's the battle. For that in Romans chapter, uh, chapter 7 verse 14 verse 15. For that that I, which I do, I allow not. Where is that? It's in the mind. It's not your feet. It's not your hands. It's in your mind. For that that I do, I allow not. What, what's he saying? For that that I would not do, but that that I hate, I do. You ever find yourself say, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to say that again. I'm never going to think that again. And then all of a sudden... If the environment lends itself to it, sometimes it doesn't have to even lend itself to it. I don't know about you, but I can have two thoughts almost at the same time. Now, I can't hardly chew gum and walk at the same time. But I tell you, sometimes I can have two thoughts at the same time. I can have a good thought and then something come along and corrupt my thinking almost within the same split second. Maybe it's not real, realistic to have two at the same time, but they're so close together that it seems like that. I hope you don't have the same experience I have. But if you do, maybe this will help. I could develop. It would be really easy to develop a defeatist attitude. And say that the battle's too great. The enemy is too great. There's no place to, there's no place to have hope of overcoming, of being an overcomer. 
But I have some scriptures that help me to keep from getting to that point. For that which I do, I allow not. But, what I, but that, that I, what I would do, that I do not. But what I hate, then that do I. You're probably saying, boy, he is so confused. But, but does he not describe your case? If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. He tells us right here where the problem lies. When we don't do what we should do and when we do what we shouldn't do, he says the problem is sin. Did you know this, this chapter right here is, is one of the main reasons that I don't subscribe to the thinking of absolute predestination of all things? Because I believe that when I do wrong, it's because of my own sinful desires. I can't blame God for that. I can't blame you for that. I may want to blame my parents. I may want to blame my grandparents. I may want to blame the party that's in office. I may want to blame the country. I may want to blame my job. I may want to blame everybody else. But the problem is the sin that lies in me. And God is not the author of that. Praise God. So I don't describe to that uh, absolute predestination of all things. I do believe God's in control and I believe God is sovereign. And I am thankful. If I didn't believe God was in control, can you imagine who you would want to be in control? I'm thankful God's in control. But God doesn't cause my sin. In fact, God abhors my sin. God hates sin. God does not delight in sin. And when we sin, we, uh, God is not pleased with us. Let's look what he says. For I know, Paul says, I don't know a whole lot, but he says, here's one thing I do know. He says, I know that in me, he says, that is in my flesh, there's a warfare that's going on. He says, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, he says, I know that dwelleth, that in me there dwelleth no good thing. You ever feel that way? There's just not a whole lot of good about you. Look at, this is what Paul says. He says, for I know that in me, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Sometimes I want to do good, and yet I find not the way or the ability or the, the fulfillment or the completion to complete it in the manner in which I would like. Paul says, I've got to struggle. He says, for the good that I do, which the good which I would, that I, I can't even read it, much less do it. He says, for the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. I can relate to what Paul is saying right there. That is the struggle that's on the inside. That is the, the warfare that's going on in the mind. If Satan can get a hold and get a grip and influence our mind, then he can affect us in other areas. Then he can affect what we see, what we hear, where we go, and what we do if he gets us in the mind. That's the target that Satan has. All right, let's look at what he says. Look at what Paul says here. Now, if I do that that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Once in a while, I have a break from sin. 
Doesn't last too long. And right on the tail end of it is evil. Once in a while, I'll enjoy some of these old songs and they touch my heart and I'm made to rejoice. But before the end of the day, a sinful thought comes and would rob me if he could. Once in a while, I am confident in the Lord and I feel like that, that I can just, I can overcome all the challenges of life. And I mean, before the thought is over, I realize that, that I can't. And that's what Paul's saying right here. He says, but I delight in the law of God after the inward man. He says, I see another law in my members warring against the law in my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And then Paul describes it right here. Paul doesn't subscribe to the thinking that I'm getting better and better and better. And by the time I finish my course, I'm going to be in a sinless state. Paul says right here, he says, the more I know about myself, the more I realize I'm a wretched sinner. Look what he says. He says, here's what I know. He says, oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And then Paul doesn't stop right there. And I'm so thankful that he doesn't. Because the same hope that Paul had gives you and I the same assurance. Yes, we can relate to Paul that we're wretched individuals. We're in a hopeless state in and of ourselves. But Paul says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That so with the mind I serve the law of God. But with the flesh the law of sin. He begins to separate it out right there. And he says it's sin that influences me. It's my own sin that influences me. But he says by the grace of God I can be an overcomer. And that's where our hope lies as well. It is. Now. Sometimes we take care of other things better than we take care of our mind. We do. I'm telling you what, with my vehicle, I use Mobile One Super Synthetic all the time. I do. And I use premium gas, and I do it because the mechanic that Brother Mark introduced me to told me to do it. And I have good evidence that it works because the last car that I had, I got 375,000 miles out of it. And that should probably even impress Brother Farrington, who works on cars. 375,000 miles, and I didn't have to do any maintenance on the engine other than change the oil and put Mobile One Super Synthetic in there. So I, I could go around and sell Mobile One Super Synthetic. <laughs> I really could. I'm sold. I am. My dad and I had this conversation. It almost became heated about whether or not to use super unleaded or not. And I said, well, I've got some evidence that it worked. And so I do it. I put the very best oil in the car. Recently, I visited with a, uh, a physician and he said, you know, it's amazing. He said, there are two things that we've been able to narrow it down that affect longevity and good health. Number one is um, the ge ge genetics. Doesn't always happen, but if your parents live to be to a ripe old age, you've got some encouragement that you may live to a ripe old age as well. When my grandfather died at 89 and a half years of age, I knew his dad was quite elderly, so I went back and researched how old his dad lived to be, my great-grandfather, and his dad lived to be 89 years, 6 months, and 10 days. My grandfather lived 89 years and 6 months. 
pretty close. But he said the second thing that is a major factor, probably as much or more than genetics, is what we put in the body. And when we put stuff in the body that God did not design the body to have, we shouldn't be surprised when it doesn't work right. My sister had a gasoline engine car and she was running late for a class and she ran by the gas station and in a, in a hurry she put uh, several gallons of fuel in the car and the car started missing and started putting out this terrible, terrible smoke. Come to find out she put diesel in it instead of gasoline. And it finally quit running. Well, when we put something in our body that doesn't belong in our body, we shouldn't be surprised when it, does, when it quits running. So we take better care of our cars, of our houses, than we do maybe sometimes of our bodies. But then sometimes we take better care of our bodies than we do of our mind. What we put in our mind affects what we think. All right, let's look at some verses in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God. He presents, he, he mentions two parts right here. He says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God. He says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That just, I mean, one of the meanings of that is that simply you take your body to church. That when you go to worship the Lord... You don't say, well, I'm with you in spirit. Lord wants you in spirit, and he wants you there in body as well. And here he says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. It could be many more reasons than that. But he says, which is acceptable unto God. You want to know what God is pleased with. God is pleased when you worship him. And God is pleased when you worship him in body. But he also comes down and he says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice acceptable unto God. And he says, by the way, this request, this requirement, this service is not an unreasonable service. It is your reasonable service. Did you know that it's a reasonable service to read God's word? Now, Brother Harder said that a sister came up to him after a service one time, and she said, well, Brother Harder, I I'm just too busy to read God's Word. And he said, Sister, you're just too busy. <laughs> well, if we're too busy to present our bodies a reasonable service, then somehow we've got our priorities out of line. Because God says this is a reasonable service and God is pleased. So basically what I'm saying is God's pleased when you come to his house to worship him. I didn't say it. He's saying that right there. God is pleased with you. He said it. he was pleased. And be not conformed to this world. Here's where we, here's where the battle of the mind comes in. Boy, I am, uh, I am sympathetic to the young folks today. More than, more than ever in times past, Satan has so many different ways to attack 
the mind of young people. Not only young people, all of us, but especially young people. By the time you get as old as some of us are, you'd think that we would learn how to stand against the attacks of Satan. But you take a young person and expose them to this great diversity of attacks upon their mind. And Satan is attacking oftentimes from every different angle. Angles that were not there when we were young. I don't know about you, but I really thought, I thought we were uptown like the Joneses because we had two telephones in our house. We had one in the kitchen and we had one by the bed, by mom and dad's bed when about 50 years ago. And I thought we really, I mean, were well healed to have two telephones. And you know, it was interesting that everybody in the house knew the conversation that was going on on the telephone. If you were courting somebody, you probably carried the telephone. If you had a long cord, maybe around the corner or into another bedroom, or held your hand over it to try to muffle. Anybody ever done that? To try to muffle. Now, Sister Farrington goes all the way back to the days of having, uh, of when they had an operator and a, and a party line, didn't you? They had party lines. So everybody knew what everybody was thinking. It's kind of like the internet back then. Kind of like Facebook. <laughs> but things have changed. They have. I'll never forget when Chrissy Malcolm was here one day. She was about 10 years old at the time, maybe 11 at the most. And she was a little bit frustrated and she says... I have just got to get a new phone. This one is worn out. And I thought, at 10 years old, worn out a phone? It's amazing, though, how that at one time there was some type of sensors that were, some controls that were put in place, whether it be by parents, by folks at school, by people of authority, that no longer are there. And young folks now, and older folks as well, can see anything just like that. And don't think for a minute that it doesn't have an impact upon our minds. Satan is the one that's leading this battle for the mind. Now, let's look at what it says. Uh, it says right here to be, ye, uh, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God by the renewing of your mind. Um, in uh, 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, Wherefore, gird up. I, I, I did it says, gird up the loins of your mind. Did you know that we have two parts of our mind? Uh, that, that, and it's almost divided. I didn't realize this until my stepfather uh, fell and, and hit his head and had a massive brain bleed. And it was on one side. And it was so uh, massive. The brain bleed was so massive that it pushed one side of his brain over into the other side. I didn't realize that there were 
two parts or two sides to the brain. He says right here, gird up both sides. Gird up the loins. Gird up all of your brain. All of it. That means protect it. That means shield it. That means do all that you can to gird up and protect your brain. Parents attempt to do that. I think these parents, Jamie and Catherine, Carla and Asa, I think they do a wonderful job. Uh, Calvin and Elsa, uh, Craig and Marie, I think these parents do a wonderful job helping gird up the loins of the minds of the children. He says, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace of that brought, it is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It comes on down and he says, and be ye holy. He says, for he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Manner of conversation is simply all manner of our life. Don't hold back one area of your life and say, I'm going to hold on to this area of my life. I'll be holy in every other area of my life. God wants you to be holy in all manners and aspects of your life. And it starts with the thinking right here. Don't reserve any part. Brother Sonny Piles was a, was a great, he still is a wonderful minister, has preached here many, many times through the years, and he, uh, he was ahead of his time, ahead of his time. He's about 80 years old now, and I have to wonder what he would think now in the day in which we're living. He used to preach in the 70s, against television and he called it television he preached against NBC, ABC and CBS and he called it ABCer, NBCer and CBCer and I thought he's a fanatic he's an extremist well now wouldn't you agree with him today He was ahead of his time. He saw it coming. He saw the attack that Satan would make through the inroads in the home through this television set. And yet, and yet now there's so many other ways that Satan can get his foot in the door in homes. All right. Let's go to this, this, this uh, chapter, Ephesians chapter 6. This is, I think this is, it's uh, really, really good. He tells us, if it was impossible to stand, I mean, I, really and truly, do you think the Bible is written for 2018? I, I had the, the other day, I, I was writing something, and I thought, is it 2017, is it 2019, 2018? I had to go back and look in the checkbook at what the last check I'd written. I just forgot even what year it was. And, and so, but, but really, 2017, 18, 19, 2020, do you think that God's word is applicable today? If we don't, then we are hopeless. I, I don't have anything to encourage you. You need to go ahead and start looking for another pastor, maybe somebody that can encourage you, because the only way that I can encourage you is out of God's Word. That's the only way that I can encourage you. 
I can't encourage you through the philosophies of men. I can't encourage you necessarily through the experience of others. But I can encourage you because God's word was written for your needs right now. So you're not going to have a trial or a difficulty or a struggle that God doesn't promise that there's going to be help in his word. Now let's look at it right here. He says, put on therefore the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's what I want to talk about here in just a minute. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood... You haven't yet seen Brother Steve and I or Brother uh, Mark and I or uh, Brother Mike or Brother Tom or Bray duke it out. And you won't see me do it with them because I know who the loser would be. But he says that we've got a warfare. There may be some of you that want to, but... uh, uh, it says, I, I've, I've learned something. It says, agree with thine adversary quickly. And, uh, and, and so I'll apply that if that time comes. But he says, there's, there's a warfare that's going on, but it's not with flesh and blood. He says, it's against principalities and powers and against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. He says, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. Now, I'll tell you what. There's a lot of wonderful things that are happening today. I'm thankful for the United States of America. I'm thankful for the country that we live in. But truly, this could be a description of the day in which we live, the evil day. He says that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, Wherewith ye shall be able to quench. That means that means uh, protect yourself against the fiery darts of the wicked. I want to talk for just a minute about the fiery darts of the wicked. Anybody here that throws darts? Luke, surely you do. Anybody here that throws darts? I mean, some of you reluctantly throw darts. It's not a trick question. I mean, it, it, if, if you throw darts, the... My dad used to take us out arrowhead hunting in, in West Texas. When the, the dirt would blow, it would blow the sand off the hard ground, and we would see arrowheads that the Indians had, had, uh, had uh, designed and used hundreds of years ago, and we would pick up arrowheads. And the one thing I remembered about an arrowhead, it's the same thing about a dart, is that it's sharper on one end than it is on the other. It's pointed. It's almost like an A, just like this. And it'll go in really quick. And sometimes it goes in a long ways, but it's really hard to pull it out. It is. And did you notice something right here? He describes it as fiery darts. It burns. It stings. It has an impact upon you. Look at what he says right here. He says, taking the shield of faith. What does that mean? God's given you a measure of faith. He just simply says, use it. God's given you faith. Use it. He says, takes the shield of faith to stand and, and quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. You know what? I'm thankful right here that he doesn't say some of the fiery darts. All right. That's a broad term. Let's look and put some names on some of the fiery darts. See if any of these affect you. Satan's got one fiery dart, and it's called anger. 
Anybody here ever struggle with anger? That's one of Satan's fiery darts. Satan's got another fiery dart called bitterness. And sometimes if anger doesn't hit us in this direction, bitterness will. And sometimes bitterness may go a little bit deeper. Satan's got some more fiery darts called discouragement. Do you know I get discouraged about probably six times a day, maybe ten, maybe more sometimes. Satan's got a fiery dart called discouragement. Sometimes it just scratches the surface and sometimes it goes mighty deep. He's got some fiery darts of discouragement. Satan's got some fiery darts of pride. Nobody realizes that they have pride. Everybody else realizes, but we don't realize that we have pride. Brother Mark's mother had a wonderful saying, said, uh, self-praise stinks. Well, that's a good evidence that you've got pride if you, I mean, she didn't cut through the chase. She just simply said it. She told me several times, so, you know. <laughs> pride may be a fiery dart. Another one, slothfulness. Did you know that if we're just flat out lazy, if we're unmotivated, if we don't have zeal and enthusiasm, then that's another fiery dart. Another fiery dart of Satan is a lack of commitment. It is. You know, you, you go borrow some money and it'll be amazing how many, how many documents that you have to sign and get notarized over and over again. And it's primarily because, and Brother Phil knows that, primarily because there's at least evidence that a lot of people don't follow through with the commitment that they have. Another fiery dart is, uh, is disobedient to parents. Go over and read uh, Isaiah chapter 1, and it talks about that that is a curse. Disobedient to parents. And not only uh, are God judges when we're disobedient to parents. God does. Another one is parents provoking their children to wrath. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1, uh, chapter 6 verse 4 describes that. Another one is, is drunkenness or giving in to the pleasures. Another one is, um, is covetousness. What does that mean? That means seeing something somebody else has and saying, I want that. Why do they have it and I not have it? Another fiery dart, and this one has a whole lot of different angles to it. In fact, this is a whole stack of fiery darts right here. This fiery dart has a tremendous effect, and it comes from a lot of different angles, and it is temptation. Temptation. Temptation to lie. Temptation to cheat. Temptation to steal. Temptation for sexual sins. Temptation to get back at somebody. A variety of temptations. And some of those fiery darts have a long effect on us. Another fiery dart that is, um, is so prevalent today, and this is a this is a big one. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Bray, this is, uh, this is why it's so important, the company that you keep. It is. And for all of us. I found 
hate to surprise you, but church folks aren't perfect. But did you know that they're so far better than the ungodly in the world? Amen. That if we're going to keep company with somebody, it ought to be the Lord's people. Amen. And if we're keeping company with the Lord's people, it's not going to solve all our problems, but it's going to solve a lot of our problems. In fact, if a minister down south contacted me this week and he said my son came to me his son is having a lot of struggles right now and he said dad I, I need to I need to get away not only from my friends I need to get away from this area if there's any hope for me I've got to get away from the people that I've been around here's what it's summed up right here be not deceived Satan is just simply saying, if you think you can do this, then you're deceived. If you think this doesn't affect you, or you think you're stronger than this, or you think you're so strong that it's not going to have an impact upon you, then you're deceived. And Satan is simply saying, when he starts out right here, he says, be not deceived. He says, be not deceived. Uh, evil communications, that can be communications of a variety of sources through uh, the means of media, through the internet. Some folks tell me sometimes, boy, you should see what so-and-so has on their Facebook page. I don't want to see it. I don't. Amen. You're not going to see me on Facebook and you're not going to see me tweeting. Uh, I, I'll, I'll respond to a text occasionally, but, but there may be some good that comes out of it, but there's also a lot of Temptations that young people face that's not good. Look at what he says right here. He says, be not deceived. You see, when, when Satan tempts us, when that fiery dart, it's, it's hot, it's sharp, and when that fiery dart pierces our mind, then we begin to question or we begin to ponder or we begin to say, well, we'll think on it for a little while. And then when we think on it a little while, then we end up doing what we're thinking about. It starts with that fiery dart piercing our mind with the thought. Look what he says. It just starts out, be not deceived. I've been deceived many, many times. I have. He says, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. It, it basically is saying right here, you may have good manners, you may have been brought up in a godly home, in a godly environment, in a godly atmosphere. You, you may have gone to church all of your life, but if you get in an environment that's ungodly, it'll have some impact upon you. Absolutely. Now, sadly, I mean, young folks ought to be able to get a good education through high school, and they ought to be able to get a good education through college. But there's a lot of professors out there that don't share the same convictions that you do about God. I'm not talking about primitive Baptists and the doctrines of grace and, and depravity and election and predestination and all that. They don't have the same conviction about God. And they'll attack the mind of the young people. And it's said that oftentimes, and, and there's a percentage of Young folks that are brought up in the Christian home, that when they go to college, that by the second year, what they've been taught has been 
challenge so much in their mind that they begin to question it themselves. Evil communication corrupts good manners. Now, then we begin as a result. Then we begin to doubt the truth. We begin to doubt the church. And we begin to forsake the assembling of the saints. It may not be in that order, but that's generally what happens. Now, that's pretty discouraging, and we could just close up the Bible and say, let's go home and let's give up. We're living in 2000, I think, 18, and there's just no hope. Pretty discouraging. Let's run over to Philippians. Philippians, we have some encouragement right here. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14 says, let's start with verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Here's some things that will help us in girding up the loins of our mind. Number one, we set our sights in the right direction. I've got a bunch of guns at home. You'd think I'm a big hunter. I used to go with my dad when I was a young boy. And, and, and one of the most important things was that you would get the, the, your sights, the focus set just right, and your, your uh, what do you call it, the scope. scope on the target. Mine had a little cross on it. And you would set the middle of the cross right on the target. He says that we need to, first of all, set our focus upon the Lord. If it's upon the world, we're going to be greatly disappointed. If it's upon ourselves, we'll be quickly disappointed. But he says, I, Paul says, I haven't, I haven't attained it completely, but I'm headed in the right direction. And we need to be sympathetic because none of us have attained it completely. We've, we've not yet arrived and we won't until we land on the shores of glory. That's when we can say we've arrived. But until then, we're going to have struggles. And we need to be sympathetic with other folks and be mindful of our struggles and their struggles. But Paul says, I haven't obtained it yet, but I'm headed in that direction. And he says, and here's the direction. He said... I press toward the mark for the prize. He basically says there's a benefit in pressing toward that mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He says, let us be thus minded. He just basically says, I'm pressing in the right direction. The second one that we can do, not only do we press toward the mark, but the second one, this is super important right here. Verse 17, brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walked so as ye have for us and in sample. Paul is saying right here, I believe what he's saying right here is you look around and you find some godly examples. Bray, Tristan, one of the best things that came out of you going to the Memphis meeting with two or three or however many hundred young people that were there is that you saw some good examples. And they saw you as good examples. And what he's saying, and, and Luke was there too, and maybe some others, and, 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 and older folks. There were some good examples 
And in the church of Jesus Christ, we need to be able to look around and find some good examples. And not only do we need to find good examples, we need to be good examples. That's what Paul is saying right here. You find some good examples and you tailor tailor your life after them and you be a good example. Paul says you find them and you be them. Two two more verses right here uh, in in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 8. Another thing that helps us right here in standing against these fiery, bitter, wicked darts of Satan. He says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true. I want to I just challenge all of us. Not just the young folks. This is not just for Tristan and Bray and Luke and, and, and Tyler. This is for all of us right here. Can we run what we're thinking through this checklist right here? If we can't then we need to change our thinking, not change the checklist. Let's look at the checklist right here. Are we thinking about things that are true? Are we thinking about things that are honest? Are we thinking about things that are just, things that are pure, things that are lovely, things that are of good report? If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. If what we're thinking about does not fit in line with these principles that are, that are right here, we need to change our thinking, not change the list. Paul gives us some things, and he says, here's a checklist for things that you think about. Do you know what? You can't go wrong thinking about Christ. You can't go wrong thinking about his word. You can't go wrong singing the hymns of Zion, even if you're doing it silently. I know it's past 12 o'clock, but i just got one more verse. But I want to tell you, if... If if we realized the great battle that we truly have in our life, wouldn't we want to do everything that we could to try to stand against those fiery darts? I mean, if I had cancer, and I may, but if I had cancer and knew about it, I'd go to the best doctors that I could, and I'd get the best counsel, and I'd get the best treatment that I could. If, if, If my house was on fire, I'd do everything that I could to try to put the fire out. If there was a crisis, I'd do everything I knew about. And I believe we are living in crisis times. And you know one of the simple, simple things that you can do? It's simple. But it's a reasonable service. It's being God's house. Listen, you don't need to miss in the critical crisis times that we're in right now. You don't need to miss a single word of a song that's sung. You don't. Because it might have been that God would speak to you through that song. Or speak to your children. You need to be in the house of God. Not only as children. As examples to your parents. But you need to be as parents. Examples to your children. Your children need to be able to think back upon your life as an example. And say you know what. Mom and dad were in church. They were there there when the doors were open. They were there when that first song was sung. There's a whole lot that I can't do. But one thing I can do is try to be an example. Don't always do it. Don't always think the things I'd like to think. Say the things I'd like to think. We ought to try. And then Paul says this. This gives us encouragement in this battle for the mind. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 verse 13. This should give us hope. Let me tell you something. Sometimes Satan convinces me in the day in which we're living that it's, it's just almost not worth it. There's not any hope. 
not any hope for ourselves and not any hope for the young folks that we're living in such troubled and evil and tumultuous times that there's no hope. And then all of a sudden, the Apostle Paul comes on the scene and he says, I can do this and so can you. I can do some things. No, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. You can be victorious. You can be a victorious young person. You can be a victorious parent, a victorious older person. I can do all things, not in our own strength. We're still going to miss the mark, still going to make mistakes, but we can set our sights in the right direction. And by the grace of God, I can do all things. I can overcome these fiery darts of Satan through the strength of Christ. No other way. There's no other way. You can't overcome it by practicing being an overcomer. You can't overcome it by reading all of the self-help books. The problem with self is it's a sinner. So self can't really help you that much. You, you, you're, you're not going to overcome it by your own willpower, by pulling up your own bootstraps. You're not going to overcome it. But you're going to overcome it by the grace of Almighty God. Paul says, I can do it by the strength of Jesus Christ. And you can too. May God bless you. We're glad you've been able to listen to this podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 10.30 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.